Welcome to the Bethesda Church Podcast. We're so glad you've joined us today. If you'd like to contribute financially to this ministry, you can do so at BethesdaChurch.tv slash give and simply select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. Anybody thankful for Jesus today? Amen. Good morning to you. Uh, again, don't forget next week, Christmas Eve service is going to be a great time. A little side note before we dive into the word. Um, you can see there's about 126 gifts, I think, if we counted them right. Um, up here, we have partnered with Greenbrier, uh, the Greenbrier Dream Tree. Um, and so what we want you to do at the end of this service is we want you to come and get a gift and take it to a child that you know could utilize or benefit from a Christmas gift. How many of you understand that it is better to give than it is to receive? Uh, and so we've we partnered with them, and um, please come and, and let's clear this out, all right? Make sure that we bless somebody. Christmas is just a week away, so take those out and uh, find somebody to bless with those. Today we are on week number two of Unwrapped, and as I stated last week, we are looking at some different gospel writers. There are four gospel writers in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And what we are doing is we're looking at them individually because based on their experience and their perspective, they unwrapped a different side of Jesus. If you were here last week, you know that Matthew, whose name means gift of God, he was writing primarily to the Jews. And he wanted the Jews to know that, God, that Jesus is the Messiah and that he's the king. Today we're going to look at Mark. And Mark is not writing to Jews, Mark is writing to Gentiles, okay? Aren't you thankful that God saw fit not only to call his people Israel, but to add you and I in as Gentiles? And so Mark's message, he's speaking to the Gentiles, and he uses some Jewish customs to help get the message across to the Gentiles. But what you're going to see today with Mark, what he really unwrapped is this truth. Jesus is a wonder worker. Come on, hit your neighbor and say, God is a wonder. He is a wonder. He is a miracle worker. Uh, and so Mark spends a lot of time writing about miracles, about the miracles that Jesus did. The word wonder means to be filled with admiration, amazement, and awe. God is basically saying, I am so good that I amaze myself. How many know we serve an awesome God? An awesome God. So we're going to go, there's so many scriptures I could read to kick it off, but I'm going to go to this one in Mark chapter number 1, and uh, verses 21 through 27, it says, they went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, G Jesus went into the synagogue, and he began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed with an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. And the impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. Merry Christmas, everybody. Come on, y'all. This is awesome. This is in your Bible. All right, check this out. It says, the people were all amazed that they asked each other, what is this, a new teaching with, and, and with authority? 
He even gives orders to impure spirits, and they obey him. And news about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. A few years ago, there was the cover of a popular magazine that read, Real Life Miracles, Reasons to Believe. And the story was about six real-life miracles that remind us of the power of humanity, according to that article. And as inspiring as those stories can be, anytime we look at human achievement, it's not miracles, though. God is the one who performs miracles. A miracle is this. It is a sign. It is a wonder. It is power. It is the work of God, not humanity, by which he reveals himself. The Bible, you say, well, I don't believe in miracles. Well, you won't have to worry about receiving one, all right? Uh, <laughs> the Bible's a book of miracles. I mean, we can go back to the creation story. God had nothing and started speaking, and out of nothing, he's creating the beautiful world in which we live, and he created you and I out of, out of the dirt and breathed into us the breath of life. We, we see in the Old Testament how that God would part seas so that his people could walk across on dry ground. Prophets in the Old Testament performed incredible miracles. I think of Elijah and Elisha, how they did incredible things as God worked in them and through them. And we see tons of miracles in the New Testament, specifically in the Gospels. There are 34 miracles of Jesus, only... only um, the, the feeding of 5,000 is mentioned in all four, okay? So there's a lot of miracles. And here's what the Bible says about miracles, signs, and wonders. In 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 12, it says, Remember the wonders God has done, his miracles, and the judgments he pronounced. I wanted to read that because I think it's important that we remember all the good things God has done for us that we remember all the miracles God has done. You say, well, I haven't ever had a, a miracle. If you are in relationship with Jesus Christ, you are a miracle. All right, the greatest miracle is still coming out of darkness into God's light. And with that being said, we've experienced over 700 miracles this year here at Bethesda Church, right? People giving their life to Jesus Christ. That, that's a miracle uh, that God would lay his life down for us. And, and, and it's so important that we don't forget the miracles of God, that God told his people on numerous occasions that, that after he'd done something great, he would say, I want you to build a, a memorial because I don't want you to forget and I don't want your children to forget what I've done for you. Job said this in Job 5 and 9. It says, he performs wonders that cannot be fathomed, miracles that cannot be counted. Even in this time of celebration, what are we celebrating? We are celebrating the virgin birth of our Savior. The birth of Christ was surrounded by impossibility. Think about the story for just a second. A virgin is going to give birth. How many know that's a miracle? I don't know anybody else that's done that. A virgin, not, a, not only a virgin would give birth, but a teenage girl would give birth to the Savior of the world. The story of Jesus coming into the earth is surrounded by impossibility. John said this in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. It says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. 
But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The theme of the Gospel of Mark is that Jesus is a wonder worker. Mark spends the majority of his time talking about miracles. And when we look at, at Mark, we got to ask, who, who was Mark? John Mark was the cousin of a guy by the name of Barnabas. He accompanied both Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. And if you'll remember, at one time, him and Paul had their differences, and they were alienated, and Scripture says that they were later reconciled. He was also a close friend of Peter, and many scholars believe that Peter is the one who dictated the writings uh, of Mark. Um, and so Matthew, he speaks primarily to the Jews where Mark comes behind Matthew and he is speaking to the Gentiles. And Mark is sensitive towards the persecuted church. And, and he, he talks about the sufferings of Christ to help us connect with it. And he begins with a quote from Isaiah in Mark chapter 1. It says in verses 2 and 3, As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you. Who's he talking about here? He's talking about John the Baptist, okay? I'll send a messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. So Mark lets us know that John would prepare the way, but he jumps from John the Baptist and he moves directly into the baptism of Jesus. Now, why is that significant? Mark talks about miracles. And at the baptism of Jesus, we witness another miracle. Because as Jesus is being baptized, what happens? The heavens open and God the Father speaks and says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. I love that verse because Jesus hasn't performed any miracles in his ministry yet, yet the Father has already said, I am well pleased with my son. How many know we are not, uh, we don't receive identity by what we do, we receive identity by who we're connected to, right? That the Father speaks over us and we receive our identity from him. And so Mark begins to focus at that moment on miracles. And so he starts talking about the driving out of demons, the healing of the sick, the forgiveness of sins, the raising of the dead, feeding the multitude, the multitudes. There are 19 miracles that Mark documents. Eight of them are about God's power over disease. Five of them show his power over nature. You remember when he spoke to the winds and the waves and, 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 and everything ceased at his word and the disciples were so taken from it. They were like, what manner of man is this that even the wind and the waves obey his word? And four of them show power over demons and two of them show power over death. The key word last week for Matthew was fulfillment. From the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. I've accomplished everything that needs to be accomplished. But the key word in Mark is the word immediately. Now, how many of you could, would say today, I could use a suddenly in my life? How many of the scriptures talk about God coming suddenly? How many of God don't need two years to perform a miracle? What makes it a miracle many times is how fast it happens. It's, it, it, it's a suddenly that God turns your situation around 
immediately. You got a bad doctor's report, and they say you got cancer and you're going to die, and God does an immediate. I'm going to ask you, anybody need an immediate in this Christmas season? They suddenly, where God breaks in and changes your circumstances. Mark would tell you that God has the ability to do a sudden work. A sudden work. Now, as we look into this, before I get into the three points I want to give you today, is I, I want us to, to, to look at this for, real quick. How many are that our society wants to do anything it can to discount God's miracles? The society in which we live will tell you it's not going to, well, we don't even have to say society. Some churches will tell you God can't do it. Come on, somebody. They'll tell you God's not able. God can't do that. But, but I, I saw this story, and I said, i got to share this with everyone. There was a group of scientists that got together, and they decided that they didn't need God. All right, it's just a story, so just walk with me. We don't need God. We've learned. We've advanced in technology. We've advanced in science. And, and you know, God, we, we just don't need you. So they, they agreed to send one of their best scientists to God to have the conversation to let God know that we don't need your help anymore. And so he goes and he explains to God about the advancements and all the things that they figured out and how that they don't need God at this point. And God listens patiently. And, and he speaks back to the scientists and says, that's cool. I, I know y'all have come a long way. But here's what we'll do. We'll, we'll have a little contest. And this contest will be, we will create man, just like I did in the beginning, in Genesis. We will create a man just like I created Adam. And the scientist said, no problem, we can do that. And he bent down and he grabbed some dirt. And God said, no, 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 stop right there. Go get your own dirt. Come on. See, we discount the miracles of God. So the first miracle I want to hit, since it is Christmas, is the miracle of incarnation. C.S. Lewis, he called the incarnation of Jesus the grand miracle of Christmas. And Mark answers the question that the disciples have and that many of us have after we witness a miracle. In Mark 4.41, they were terrified and they asked each other, who is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? Why did Mark document this specifically? Why did, why did Mark talk about these things? Because Mark wanted to connect us to the truth that Jesus is the Son of God who is fully God and fully man. This is one of the hard things to put your mind around, that he was 100% man and 100% God. Man, if we look at Jesus' humanity, Mark presents him, all right, as the tireless servant of God and man. Jesus ministered in spite of the demands and interruptions. Think about this for, a, for just a moment. His prayer time was often interrupted. His meals were interrupted. His family interfered with his ministry, thinking that he was emotionally unstable. Crowds demanded time with him, even though he was exhausted and needed rest, yet he would have compassion on them and minister to them. And Mark shows us that Jesus had real feelings of disappointment, fatigue, 
indignation against legalists and, and, and an overall lack of amazement at people's lack of faith. Why is Mark showing us all that? Because he's letting us know Jesus was a man. He got tired. He got mad. He needed to sleep. He needed all those things. Aren't you glad that we have a Savior that can identify with our humanity, that knows what we're going through, what we carried into this place? Because he was in all ways tempted the same way you and I are, yet the difference between him and, and, and us is that he never sinned, right? That, that is what set him apart from you and I. But we can't just stop at his humanity. We know that God was wrapped in flesh and, and, and he came to us, but we also have to look at his divinity. When you look at Jesus' divinity in Mark chapter 1, verse number 11, it says, uh, this is the, the baptism again, it says, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. So God pronounces this blessing over his son to show us that he was different, all right, that, that he was divine. Now, one of the things that you learn about Jesus when you read, if you just got saved, let me throw this in, if you've recently given your life to Christ, I would not start in like the book of Leviticus, all right? You need to steer away from that. You need to go to like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, start there, look at the life of Jesus. The thing, though, that really stands out to me with Jesus is Jesus confronted stuff. How many know he confronted? He was not afraid of confrontation. Now, we live in a PC world, right? We live in a PC world. You got to be politically correct. You got to be careful. You got to put the kid gloves on. And I'm all about loving people and, and making them feel amazing and all that stuff. So I'm all about that. But at the same time, you got to be willing to confront stuff from time to time. And Jesus, he confronted stuff. And, and, and in that confrontation, it shows us that he had authority. It shows us that he was not just a man, but he was divine. He confronted demons. Our opening text that I read from Mark chapter 1, the Bible says that a man enters into the place of worship. He has an impure spirit. And the demons in the man, get this, Merry Christmas again, the demons in the man speak up and say, have you come to destroy us? Now, one thing we got to point out real quick is that even the devil recognized Jesus is God. We got people in their arrogance that don't believe that Jesus was the Son of God, but even the devil knows that Jesus is the Son of God. And the demon said to him, Have you come to destroy us? And I love Jesus' response to the demon speaking to him. He said, Shut up. And come out. Point being, point being, you can't counsel the devil out. You have to cast him out. Now, I, I'm, not, I'm not one of these guys that goes looking for devils. I, I'm not that guy. You know, I know some they're looking for demons. You don't have to look for them. But what you need to know is that the devil will respond to the Jesus in you. The devil knows that Jesus is divine. These signs shall follow them that preach. These signs shall follow the apostle or the pastor. No, these, these signs shall follow those who believe. That in my name, they will cast out devils. 
I got some stories to blow your mind. I won't, I won't bore you with detail. I've had to cast devils out. It's not a lot of fun. But how many know God's given you power over it? He's given you power over that. And, and if you don't believe we live in a world where people are filled with impure spirits, you need to wake up. See, the problem is we think of a devil, it's got to be somebody running around graveyards cutting themselves. The problem in America, devils in our nation, they wear three-piece suits and make 500000 a year. So it doesn't have to be, all right, somebody out living homeless, all right? It can be somebody sitting up in the church that needs delivered. Did I say that on a Sunday morning? I did. All right. So Jesus, Jesus confronted demons, okay? He also confronted, check this out, religious leaders. Look at Mark 12. It says, while Jesus was teaching in the temple courts, he asked, why do the teachers of the law say that the Messiah is the son of David? David himself, speaking by the Holy Spirit, declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. How then can he be his son? And the large crowd listened to him with delight. So he, he is confronting the re religious rulers, and he's not saying that, that, you know, I'm not the son of David, because he is. He was in the lineage of David. But what he is saying here is that if I'm the son of David, then why did David say that I'm his Lord? Jesus was not saying I'm not from the lineage of David, because he was. What Jesus was letting us know, David was great, but I'm greater. Moses was great, but I'm greater. Your father Abraham, awesome. But before Abraham was, what did Jesus say? I am. What was he saying? He was letting them know, yeah, we can hold them in high esteem, but I need to confront your tradition and let you know that the, the one that the prophet said would come, I am that guy, and I'm here to confront anything that don't look like God and to bring man back into a relationship with God. I'm going to lay my life down so that people can know who I am. Now, all throughout the New Testament, Mark's gospel, at his trial, the high priest asked him in Mark 14, check this out, it says, but Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, he said, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? I am, said Jesus. Why, why are you showing us that, Pastor? Jesus did not deny that he was divine. They said, are you the one? I am. Look at what it says in this, this scripture in Mark 15 and 2. Are you the king of the Jews, asked Pilate. Jesus said, you have said so. What was he doing? He was coming into agreement. I'm not just a man. I am fully God. I'm fully man, but I'm also fully God. I'm not going to deny my divinity. There was a moment where the centurion, y'all remember the centurion who confessed Jesus' divinity. Because at the moment the crucifixion was so powerful, he recognized he's different. He's not the same in Mark 15, 37 through 39. It says, with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Listen, God, the, the veil in the temple was not torn so that you could get in. The veil in the temple was torn so that God could get out and not be relegated to a back room somewhere, but could live right here in your heart. 
That, that, that's why the veil in the temple was torn. And it says, and when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. He's divine. He's different. The miracle of incarnation, God coming in the form of Jesus, fully man, fully God. The second miracle I want to touch for just a moment is the miracle of redemption. I said it earlier, but the greatest miracle is still lost people coming to Christ. The manger was a prelude to the cross. Jesus never lost sight of his mission. His mission was to give his life as a ransom to many. The word ransom, it simply speaks to the price of redemption. That to redeem means to buy back something that was lost. A television interviewer was on the streets of Tokyo at Christmas, and he saw a young lady walking down the sidewalk, and, and Christmas is a big, de big deal there in Japan, as, as, just like it is here. And he asked this lady who was walking by, what is the meaning of Christmas? Laughingly, she responded, I don't know, is it the day Jesus died? She was a lot closer than what we all think. The point is, the cross is an eternal event. The cross was not God's plan B. Jesus was born for one reason, to die. The lamb who was slain from the foundation of the world. Not a plan B, it was always God's plan A. First Peter 1 says, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but has revealed in these last times, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. So it wasn't God's plan B. Before you got here, he was already the lamb slain. God already knew how he would redeem you and I. Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5 says, But when the set time had fully come, that set time means appointed time, kairos moment. That's a time that God had already put on his calendar. How many know God knew when Jesus was coming? God already had it planned out. And the gospel of Mark, when we look at his gospel, it is a gospel of action. It's a gospel that, that he spends 10 chapters giving an overview of Jesus' life, and then he gives us six chapters on the Passion Week, and inside of all of that is miracle after miracle after miracle. And Jesus, in the gospel of Mark, is constantly bringing the kingdom of God into the earth, okay? That's what, what's happening in the Gospel of Mark. The cross was no accident. It was the eternal plan of God for salvation. So, the miracle of incarnation, the miracle of redemption, and this is the point that I really wanted to get to today. The, the miracle of confirmation. Everybody say confirmation. Some of y'all looking at, what is he talking about? I'm so glad you asked. All right. What does this mean? Mark ends his gospel after speaking about all the miracles of Jesus, and he moves into the continued working of miracles through, not Jesus, it is Jesus, but we know where the power comes, comes from, but through the church. After Jesus' ascension, Mark records this, Mark 16 and 20. 
the disciples went out and they preached everywhere and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. So Jesus did preach the kingdom, but Jesus also demonstrated the kingdom. The problem is, is we got a lot of preaching, but we don't have a lot of demonstration. Come on, smile at me, church. We, we, we do a lot of talking, but are we doing any demonstrating? See, miracles knock down barriers to ministry and confirm the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what miracles do. I read a story this week about a man who worked for one of the largest missionary organizations in the world. And this man was in his mid-30s, and this, this took place about 10 years after the Vietnam War. And the leadership of this organization was, they were negotiating with Vietnam to get the gospel into that country. And one of, one of the people that was involved was a high-ranking Vietnamese official who was a part of the investigation. Like, he's investigating this organization to find out, should we allow them to come into our country and preach the gospel? Should we allow? So he's investigating this, this organization. And while he's investigating them, his sister is diagnosed with cancer. Now, his sister at the time was living in Paris. And while in Paris, she attends a church, all right, that is connected to the missionary organization that he's investigating. She goes to the church, diagnosed with cancer, giving, giving a bad report, but she finds out that this church believes in miracles, and they pray for sick people. And so while there, the leaders find out that she has cancer, and they do what we should all be willing to do. They pray the prayer of faith for this man's sister, while she's at the church, and she is miraculously healed, all right, totally cancer-free. And she shares it with her brother, who is investigating the organization, and he is so moved by what God did for his sister that he allowed that organization to come in and be the only organization up to that point that had gotten into Vietnam to openly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Again, miracles knock down barriers to ministry and it confirms the message of Jesus Christ. We need to be reminded that when we receive a miracle, God has more in mind than you getting your breakthrough and you getting your healing. God has in mind how many people will your miracle reach? How many people will be saved because of what God has done in your life? Miracles validate the message Paul said I don't come I could impress y'all Paul could have said I can impress y'all I know 10 languages I wrote two thirds of the New Testament I know the entire law forward, backward any way, shape and form you want to talk about I can talk about it but Paul as educated as he was said I did not come to impress you with enticing words of men's wisdom, but I came in demonstration and in power. What was, what was Paul saying? He said, it's not enough to communicate words. We have to be willing to demonstrate the kingdom. 
Jesus said, when you pray, pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want to say something, and I hope you don't throw anything at me. I don't need another miracle to follow Jesus. I'm saved. He's done a, a ton of miracles in my life. Whether he does another miracle or not, I will continue to follow him. But you know who might need to see a miracle? is a person that don't know Jesus Christ. Because miracles are a sign to the unbeliever. And when unbelievers see miracles happen, they are convinced that Jesus is who he's. I'm going to preach this today. He is who he says that he is. And this Christmas season, in the middle of all the hustle and bustle, let us not forget that our God is a wonder. Our God is a miracle worker. Oh, I'm telling you, I'm getting beside myself. I may need some water. See, miracles give credibility to the message. I'll give you an example. When you walked in this morning, you saw a construction site where a church, and I'm not being mean, we don't live in a metropolitan area. Come on, this is remote. This is not, this is not Chicago. This is not Charlotte. This is not St. Louis. This, this isn't Manhattan. The population base is small. But when you walk onto this property and you see that we're expanding so that we can fit more people and run, at this point, over a 1,000 people, and we're going to do a $3 million expansion, you need to know that is a sign to the unbeliever and everybody who walks by, apparently God is doing something there. It don't take a rocket scientist to figure out that God is doing something at Bethesda Church. Everywhere I go, every conference I attend, our story is getting out. And pastors are saying, they're not saying, like, how you got a thousand people? How you get that many people to say? You know what they're asking? How in God's name do you have that many people coming to church in a town that small? And I have to step back and say, the Lord is a wonder worker. He is a miracle worker. Just in case you forgot, you are a part of a miracle today at Bethesda Church that is a sign to all who see it. I can't tell you how many times I get asked, how's that happening? I'm in a city of a million people and can't get that many people to church. God's at work. God's at work. It's a sign to unbelievers. It's a sign to people that God is doing something miraculous. You say, well, Pastor, I just don't know about that. I need a little scripture. I'm so glad you asked. According to the book of Acts, Philip was able to lead the way in taking the gospel across cultural boundaries into the regions dominated by the Gentiles. And here's how he did it. Acts 8 and 6. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed... They all paid close attention to what he said. Man, that's clear. How did it happen? He performed amazing things, and because they saw the signs, what did they do? They listened. They paid attention. And you can see this, and Philip wasn't the only one. Peter also did this. 
In Acts 9, he goes to the city of, of, uh, that was called Lydda, and he went there to minister. And while there, he prays for a paralyzed man by the name of Aeneas. And when he prays for this paralyzed man, the guy is healed immediately. And Acts 9.35 records, all those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they all turned to the Lord. God uses miracles, signs, and wonders to give credibility to the message. And when people see, listen, God, if you, if you brought somebody in here, let, let's just read this first because I, I need y'all to walk with me. Peter also did this for a woman by the name of Tabitha. She died. These signs shall follow them that believe. They will cast out devils. They drink poison that won't harm them. They will raise the dead. Now, when we get to that point, we're all out. I'm out. I'm out. But check this out. Peter prayed for Tabitha, who was dead. The Bible says Tabitha came back to life. And in verse 42 of Acts 9, it became known throughout Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. See, we get so hung up on the miracle, we forget what God is really doing. He's doing the miracle, yes, because he loves you and has compassion on you. But the miracle is not so much for you as it is all the people that are about to turn to the Lord because of what God has done for you. Y'all don't think if we had a dead person, if somebody wheeled a dead person, and somebody y'all, whoa, you'd be out of here. But if somebody wheeled a dead person into this room and we prayed to prayer of faith and they got up, how many of next week this place would be much more full than it is this week? We'd be like, y'all need to hurry out there, right? Now, our problem is, is, is we, we have a hard time being bold enough to pray those kind of prayers, to really believe that we can demonstrate the message, not just speak the message, but demonstrate it. Every miracle, though, that happens today is confirmation of Jesus' resurrection. Every time a miracle happens, it helps people know he did get up. He did defeat death, hell, and the grave. I was reminded, it wasn't in my notes. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. If I don't, we're going to have a traffic jam outside. Y'all come on in here. Help me close this thing. But in the first service, I was preaching, and then this came back to my memory. How many of you have ever read a Smith Wigglesworth book? Okay, only a couple hands went up. You need to go find you some of those and read them because on 19 documented cases, he raised the dead. He was an evangelist. He preached. And so it was no big deal for at his meetings dead people to be wheeled in but this one that really comes to mind these are documented these are not like oh he said this happened these are documented cases. they say that much more were actually raised from the dead but they have 19 documented cases but he he heard from God one day and God told him and this was back uh, early 1900s and he he heard from God and God told him to go to a certain city and when he got to the city, I want you to find this pastor. God told him who the pastor was. And I want you to link up with him, and I want you all to go hold a revival. Okay, that's the word God gave him. So he obeyed, and he went to the city, and he went to where the pastor lived. He knocked on the door, and the pastor didn't open the door, but his wife did. And he said, I'm here, I'm Smith Wigglesworth, and God told me we're supposed to preach a revival, me and your husband. And she said, well, you're a little late. He said, what are you talking about? She said, he's dead. He said, can't be. I, I, I know God's voice. He can't be dead. 
surely that, that, that's not true. I, I'm supposed to preach with him. She said, no, he's dead. He said, now this is where it gets interesting. He said, where's the body? <laughs> she said, well, he's down at the morgue. He said, well, take me there. Now, this is radical. I know it's radical. And this, this stretches every person. This stretches me. When I think of somebody this bold, he goes to the morgue, and they show him the body, ask the funeral director, can I see this body? And they let him in. He sees the body, and he lays hands on a dead corpse. and says, in the name of Jesus, we, we are supposed to hold a, me- a meeting together, rise up, and live. Nothing happens. Now, how many of you know at that point, that's when you kind of tuck your tail and run? You leave? But he, he goes a second time. He said, in the name of Jesus, rise up and live. Nothing happened. If you didn't quit after the first time, you definitely quit then, right? Like, I'm done. I've done embarrassed myself. But he does a third time. But the third time, he doesn't just lay his hands on him. The way the case is documented is he grabs him by the lapels, throws him up against the wall and said, I said, in the name of Jesus, live. We have a meeting to go preach. The guy starts coughing, comes back to life. They go and hold the the revival meetings together. But some of y'all are like, I don't know about that, Pastor. You need to open your Bible and read it. Our God is a wonder worker. He is a miracle worker. And I'm going to throw this out there, and and this maybe give you some perspective. If I'm ever given a report that says I'm going to die and not live, I'm sick and it's unto death, and you come and see me, if that ever happens, God forbid it does, I hope it never happens, but if it does happen, if you come and see me, I don't want you to pray one of those, well, Lord, if it be your will, touch Pastor Chad. I would much rather you come in and say, in the name of Jesus, rise. In the name of Jesus, be healed. And the reason being is what do you have to lose if you're on your way to dying anyway? You might as well be bold enough to pray the bold prayers. Come on, church. We can't just preach the kingdom. We have to demonstrate the kingdom. Some of y'all are like, oh, man. I... Woo! Some of y'all going to go home and say, I don't know about that preacher today. Hebrews 13 and 8. God hasn't changed. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Mark tells us how we have access to what I've just preached. Mark chapter 9, verse number 23. Everything is possible for one who believes. Guys, that's, that's Jesus. Everything is possible for one who believes. I wonder who in this building today needs God in this Christmas season to do something supernatural. See, when we think supernatural, we oftentimes, we think in terms of dead people being raised or a demon being cast. And those are miracles, but we get so infatuated with those that we miss the everyday miracles of a marriage that should have ended. And God restores it. We miss the moments of God bringing somebody out of a deep, dark depression into His joy. Supernaturally, not because you got medicated appropriately. I'm not against medication. I'm just saying it's a supernatural thing. 
And what about the 700 miracles this year of people saying, you know what, I've not been a follower of Jesus, but this year I'm putting my faith in Jesus Christ. Those are miracles. If you believe it today, would you stand to your feet and let's give God the best cheer we have all day. Come on, if you, if you receive his word today. I went longer than I should have. I don't apologize. All right. Would you bow your heads with me for just a moment? Close your eyes. No one looking around. If you're in this place and you're not in a relationship with Jesus, but you know you need his grace and his mercy, you need, you need him to come into your heart and forgive you. You, you want to make things right with God. And you may be watching online, and that's your prayer today. We want to give you an opportunity to make that decision. If that's you, would you say that's me by just throwing your hand up right there where you are and say, I, I want to know Jesus. I need to make things right. Thanks for those two hands right there in the middle. God bless you. God bless you. Where else are you? One here. God bless you. Where else are you? Anyone else? We'll pray for those of you that are watching online as well. Anyone else before we pray? Anyone else? Let's lift our voices together today. Everybody say, Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you. In the name of Jesus, I ask you to forgive me, to come into my heart, to be my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, celebrate those hands that have went up today. God bless you. We're happy for you. Our prayer team and staff is going to come to my right and to my left. If you need prayer, don't leave without receiving prayer. And don't forget, at the end of the service, we want every family to take at least one gift to a child that needs it. Let's be the hands and feet of Jesus the week before Christmas. Let's bless a child with a gift. God bless you. I hope you have a great, great day. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Bethesda Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our website, BethesdaChurch.tv. Thank you for joining us and have a great day.